Thank you, Danny. That was a good song. How many of you love the Lord today? Can you say God is good? All the time. God is good. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I want to share a word today in this series that we're calling a word spoken in due season. A word spoken in due season. And today I want to share a timely word to the tempted Christian. A timely word to the tempted Christian. I know you don't ever get tempted, but you can take the tape to somebody who you think does. And uh, while you're turning there, let me remind you, on Wednesday nights we're learning how to strengthen our uh, personal devotional lives with God. And I encourage you to come on Wednesday nights and be a part of that. And at the end of the service, Kathy's going to announce once again a class starting next Sunday with Frank and Eleanor Alfredo to strengthen our marriages. And we'll talk about that, and she's going to hold up the book and share with you on that. But today, let's look at what the Bible says. We're going to quickly read some verses, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware, I don't want you unaware that all of our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. All of them were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And they all ate the same spiritual food, and they all ate and drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. They did not make it to the promised land. Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should, now he's going to give us a list, not lust after evil things as they lusted. And do not become idolaters as some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. No doubt that was a reference right there to the golden calf and Aaron's leading the people into idolatry. Verse 8, nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted or provoked him and were destroyed by serpents, nor complain. Can you believe that's in there? Nor complain. Wow. That's, I wouldn't put that in the list with all these other ones, but he does. Nor complain. As some of them also complained, what happened to them? They were destroyed by complaining, and they were destroyed by the destroyer. Now all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our teaching, for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he's standing be careful, lest he fall. Then verse 13, our main focus today, no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation, he will make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Can you say with me, God is faithful? All right, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word today, for speaking to our hearts today. We pray, let this word arm us, comfort us, and arm us in the hour of temptation. And we thank you for it in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen and amen. God bless you. Turn to your neighbor and tell him you're going to win over temptation. Well, I believe that. 
Now I want to quickly skirt through the first few verses here and give a little explanation. Paul opens up his discussion on temptation by drawing a parallel between New Testament Christians and the Old Testament children of Israel who followed Moses out of Egypt and into the wilderness. Now he's saying there is a comparison between us in the New Testament and those in the Old Testament. There is, he argues, a strong similarity between us and them. He calls the wilderness wanderers, notice this, he calls them our fathers and says they were under the cloud and all of them passed through the sea. Now what does that mean? Well, they all experienced being under the cloud that shadowed them by day and appeared as a fire by night. Some commentators believe that by day the cloud shadowed over them, protected them from the searing sun and also hid them from the enemy. And by night, it was a fire in the sky that led them and comforted them and assured them of God's presence. He said they were all under that cloud. They all experienced being under that cloud. And they all passed through the Red Sea, which was a road for them, but it became a graveyard for their enemy. Now, how in the world was that like us? Likewise, when we are carried across the great sea between death and life when we get saved, the enemies of death, hell, and the grave are defeated, are destroyed, just like Pharaoh's army was destroyed when the sea closed back in on them and destroyed them as they chased the children of Israel. When we got saved, the blood of Jesus closed in on the enemy of our soul. And the very thing that saved us destroyed death, hell, and the grave. And that way we are like them. Give God praise. Go ahead. Thank God He destroyed the enemy. Because the three major enemies of mankind are death and hell and the grave. Yesterday when we buried this young man, he, well actually he was a 51-year-old man, that's young to me, praise God. I'm 51. And, uh, but he had contracted multiple sclerosis 20 years ago, but he was a believer. And he studied the Bible all those years, the last few years of his life. He was bedridden. And that disease wasted away his body. But to the very end, he had put people come in and read him the Bible. He, he cleaved to the Scriptures. He believed that this is not all there is. And as he died and went on to be with the Lord, his testimony was, I know that I'm passing to the other side. And it was not a sorrowful funeral, but it was a positive funeral because he knew that when he got saved, he was carried out of Egypt, that is the world, and a, a world ruled by the devil. And he was carried across the sea and into the promised land and death, hell, and the grave were defeated. Now that supernatural cloud and the miracle of the parted Red Sea are what baptized them into Moses. That's what it means. Because the, the parted Red Sea and the cloud by day and the fire by night were God's testimonies to them that Moses was sent by God. And so having been brought under Moses' ministry, they were obligated to His law and His covenant to live by them. Likewise, when we are baptized in water, which we're about to do next Sunday, we're going to be baptized in water, a bunch of you. We've had a lot of you sign up. Well, what are we going to do? What, what is water baptism? We go down as a symbol of having died to the old life and crucified the old man, and we're brought up again to live to newness of life. 
And so as they were taken through the sea, a picture of water baptism, and submitted to Moses' ministry and yielded to his way of life, so we are baptized in water. And in doing so, we come up out of that water and say, you are my Lord, you are my God, you are my Christ. And now not only am I living in newness of life, but I'm also going to live the way that you have taught me to live. Then Paul says that they all ate the same spiritual meat and they all drank the same spiritual drink. Well, the meat that they ate was the manna that came down every day from heaven above. Likewise, the manna that feeds the Christian is Jesus Christ who called Himself the bread of heaven who came down from heaven. They had that manna every day on the ground. Praise God, we've got a better manna. His name is Jesus, the Son of the living God. And He came down from heaven. And every day when you read the Word and walk with Him, you are actually feeding on the life that Jesus Christ gives. And then it says the spiritual drink that they drank in the wilderness was water that came supernaturally gushing out of a rock. And it says the rock that followed them was Christ. And in the same way, likewise, you and I drink every day out of the water of the Holy Ghost that comes out of the Lord Jesus Christ. It springs up in us into life everlasting. It is the water that if you drink of it, you will never thirst again. It's the Holy Ghost and fire, and it's keeping us alive. It is the life of God manifested in the waters of the Holy Ghost. And so we are like them. But look what he says now. They crossed from Egypt into the promised land, and so we crossed from death to life. As they were illuminated, protected, and guided by a supernatural cloud, we are illuminated, protected, and guided by the Holy Ghost. As they were fed by manna from heaven, we are fed by Jesus, the bread of heaven. And as they drank from an unending stream of water flowing from a rock, so we drink from the waters of the Holy Spirit flowing from the rock, Jesus Christ. So Paul said, you are like them. There is a similarity. They were types and shadows of the church that was to come. So he says in the same way now, most of them, with most of them, God was not well pleased. You've got to stop and think about that. Here they were, delivered by ten mighty miracles out of Egypt. They're carried across the Red Sea. They've got a cloud by day, fire by night. They have a leader whose face glows in the dark. And yet they succumb to temptation. With most of them, God was not well pleased. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Only two out of a million, two out of a million, made it across the Jordan into the Promised Land. And Paul says now, they have become our examples. We're to learn from their mistakes that we should not stumble in sin as they did. What did they do? Well, they lusted after evil things. They worshiped false gods. They fell into sexual immorality. They provoked God's anger by constantly criticizing the leadership He placed over them. And they murmured against God by complaining about Him. Why did you lead us into Egypt? You lead us out here to kill us? Better off that we'd have stayed in Egypt. And the more they complained, their tongue became a shovel that dug them six feet down under, and they died in the wilderness when it was God's will that they crossed that Jordan and eat the good of the land. Their tongue buried them. Their story is told for our instruction. Paul warns these words, so be careful. Everybody say, be careful. Look at your neighbor and say, be careful. Don't look at me and say, be careful. Kathy will look at me and say that. <laughs> be careful. 
If you're thinking, here's what Paul said, be careful if you were thinking, oh, I would never behave like that. I would never do that. I could never succumb to that. I could never fall that way. The minute that you say that, are you ready? You can. Let this be a warning to you, Paul goes on to say, for you too could fall into sin. It's an amazing thing, this life of Christianity, this walk that we're in, because you don't succeed in it unless you are totally dependent upon the Lord of it. You've got to walk with Jesus to stay clear of sin. In light of these warnings, Paul brings a word of comfort now to the tempted. He says, you can be tempted, you can fall, you can wreck your life, you can mess up. But he says, let me give you a word of comfort. And he begins by saying three things in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. And let me cover them. He says, first of all, what you're experiencing is common. It's common. It's common. Peter said, my dear friends, do not be bewildered by the fiery ordeal that is upon you as though it were something strange or extraordinary or weird or unique to you. I think it's one of the devil's biggest lies to say to you and me, what you're going through, there ain't anybody that's ever been through this. Nobody goes through this. You're weird. You're unique. You've got something going on in your mind that nobody else does. You're strange, dude. And before you know it, you're walking around thinking something's really wrong with me. Other people don't go through this. This is really strange. I must be, I must be a freak. Something is wrong in my mind. And Paul says, no, there's nothing wrong with you. As a matter of fact, you can look back on the children of Israel and know that anything you're being tempted in, they were all tempted in the same thing. Isn't that what self-help or what help classes are all about? Help groups are all about? Because you go into a help group and what are you surrounded by? But people who have been through the same struggles as you and they survive. I want you to say with me, I'm going to survive. And say with me, it is not weird. Say with me, I'm not as strange as I thought. But still, you're a little bit strange. I was reading a book last night. What is it called, Kathy? Uh, everybody's normal till you get to know them. Everybody's normal till you get to know them. Everybody is normal till you get to know them. And then you find out everybody's a little bit off. Everybody's a little bit strange. So you can feel good about yourself knowing everybody has a quirk Everybody has idiosyncrasies. Everybody is a little bit odd. And if you get to know them, you begin, to, you begin to see it because we have all been born in sin, shaped in iniquity. We're in an imperfect world that is full of devils and deception and everything else in the world. And so naturally, you're going to be a little strange. But he says, whatever you're being tempted in, you can know that thousands and thousands and thousands of other people have been tempted in the same thing. And that's supposed to bring us comfort. I'm not alone. I'm not alone. Others have fought this same thing. And you know what? They won. Others have fought, but nobody's been tempted like me, Pastor Jeff. My temptations are so extraordinarily powerful, I don't think anybody's ever been... Yes, people have been through the same exact thing. And I'm going to say it again. They won. They won. Come on, you can do better than that. Come on, give God praise. Nobody's been tempted to smoke like me. Yes, they have, and they won. Nobody's been tempted to drugs like me. Yes, they have, and they won. Nobody's been tempted to lust like me. Yes, they have, and they won. 
He's wanting us to know you're not alone. Others have fought the same thing and won. You are surrounded by a cloud of witnesses, not just those who were defeated, but those who won. And so you can win in the power of the Lord Jesus Christ because you've got a whole sea of witnesses who are saying, come on, you can do it. I did it. And if they could rise up from all over the world and talk to you, they would say, I was there. I was down. I was in darkness. I was fighting the devil. I thought I'd never make it. But the one who brought David out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set his feet on a rock and established his goings and gave him a new song in his mouth can raise you up as well. You can win. Now, the second thing that Paul says you need to understand, God is faithful. When you're being tempted, there is a God who sees it, and He is faithful. And He says He will not allow the temptation to reach a level that you cannot resist. Literally, the Living Bible says you can trust God to keep the temptation from becoming so strong that you cannot stand up against it. God in heaven has His hands on the dial. And He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can stand. He won't allow the fight to become totally unfair. He keeps His hand on the dial. He's, the devil is a dog on a leash. You need to say to yourself if you're in the middle of your temptation, wow, God apparently believes I'm strong enough to beat this or it would not be here. Because if God thought it was too strong for me, He would remove it Himself. He looked at Simon Peter and said, Simon, Simon, Satan has desired to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you. There you have the devil wanting to devour Simon Peter alive. But Jesus said, I know what he's up to. I know what his plans are. And I have prayed for you that even though he attacks you and even though, Peter, you fail, I have prayed that your faith will not expire, but you will one day be restored and strengthen your brethren. I've got my hands on the dial, Peter. I've got my hands on the situation. I'm Lord of Lords, King of Kings. He's a dog on a leash. He's not greater than me. Greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. He cannot do anything without the permission of God. He's a defeated foe. He's headed to hell. He's finished. He's over with. Now I want to be real clear that God did not send the temptation. We need to know that. God is not a divine tease. God does not tell you, don't walk across the street and then walk up and take your hand and lead you across the street. God does not tempt any man. We've got to get our theology straight. God is a deliverer. He's not a tempter. He's a healer, not somebody that makes you sick. We can't make God schizophrenic in our theology. James says God didn't send the temptation because the Bible says, let no man say when he is tempted, I'm tempted by God. God has brought this temptation to me. For God cannot be tempted by evil. Isn't that good to know? The devil will never go to God and successfully tempt him. He cannot be tempted by evil. And then it says, and, and he, nor does he himself tempt anybody. Well, then where does temptation come from? James said temptation comes from within you. Now here's the difference. Testing comes from without. 
testing is what comes into your life from outside. It's pressures, it's circumstances, it's, it's, it's where the squeeze comes on you with money or relationships or something in life that puts tremendous stress and pressure on you. A job, a situation, a circumstance that tries your faith and refines your faith. That's testing. James said, but temptation comes from within. It comes from your flesh when you are enticed. So the devil is a master enticer. He is a, an evil fisherman. He knows the weaknesses that are in your flesh. And so, like a fisherman who knows the kind of bait to use to get a particular kind of fish, I am convinced the devil knows our weaknesses. If you used to struggle in drugs, or struggle with smoking, or struggle in relationships, he's going to set that bait. And he's going to poof, and it's going to drop right in front of you. And he's going to say, there you go. Isn't this what you've been looking for? Isn't this what you've wanted? Not only is it in front of you, it's from God. Ah, but I see, devil, that it's contrary to the Word of God. Oh, don't worry about that Word. Has God really said? And in front of you, the enticement appeals to your eye. If it's money, He'll put situations in front of you to do His best to lure you and entice you into something that is not of God, that is not right, that is compromising. Anytime you've got to compromise a scriptural conviction or something clearly in the Word of God, you can know that is what, what is being flicked in front of your eye is from the evil fisherman called the devil. I wish I brought a rod and reel and some of my baits. I used to fish for bass, and I learned this. Bass will hit certain things at certain times of day in certain kinds of weather. And if you're a good bass fisherman, you know exactly what to drop in front of them. It looks good to them. It seems good to them. It tastes right to them. But they have no idea that behind that lure, that shiny lure, is a line. And that line is attached to a rod. And that rod is being held by a creature that really does want his demise, wants to eat him. And that's exactly the way the devil is. He drops his lures in front of you with the intention of luring you into a trap and destroying you. And so God says, when that is happening to you and you're being tempted to compromise your convictions, it's never me. It's never me. It's the devil who knows what you want and he's trying to get you to bite it before I take care of your need. Come on. He's going he's gonna to flick that thing in front of you and, and a lot of the times it drops down in front of your eyeballs and appeals to you. It appeals to the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, or the pride of life. Those are the three arenas he strikes in. And it drops in front of you many times when God's provision is on the way to here's Abraham. He's got his son Isaac laid out on the altar. He's got a knife raised in the air. And, and, and he believes that he's to sacrifice this boy. And God stopped him and said, don't hurt the child. And immediately he stopped his hand. Nobody ever let go of a knife quicker than Abraham did in that very moment of time. And the Bible says 
Behold, immediately there was a ram caught in the thicket just behind him. And God provided his answer instead of a wrong answer. And Abraham passed the test. But it's the same way, folks. God's provision is on the way. And Satan knows if you hang on, God will provide. So he... And it... Right in front of you. But the only problem with what you're seeing is you know you're going to have to compromise to bite it. Say, well, it must be God. You know, God will compromise. Be careful that you don't turn God into a man. Don't turn God into a human being. Because God will never compromise His Word. He will never compromise His principles. He will never compromise His character. He will never lead you to compromise. You can know that it's not from God. Pastor Jeff, I've been waiting a long time. Well, you might be waiting on something he doesn't want for you. But if he does want it for you, wait a little bit longer. Oh, but it's been a long time. It's been your long time. It may not be his long time. Because your long time and his long time are two different things. Wait on God. You can trust God to keep the temptation from becoming so strong you can't stand up against it. You've got to know when you see something there and you've got to compromise to take it, it is not from God. It is not from God. He did not put that in front of you. That is from the tempter who is far more brilliant than people give him credit for. I know he's a fallen foe, but I want to tell you something. I respect the power of the devil, and I don't fool with him. I know what he's up to. He never shows up unless it's to rob, kill, steal, or destroy. He never shows up for any other reason. I learned a long time ago, He is not out to make you cuss. He's not out to give you, uh, you know, a, a bad day. He's not out to make something go bump in the night. He's not some little creature walking around in a red suit with a long tail and a pitchfork. <laughs> no, no. He is a fallen archangel of God. His brain, His capacity to think and scheme and connive is so far beyond yours. If it were not for Jesus Christ and the protection of God, He'd devour you alive. He would eat you for lunch. It'd be all over with. He is greater than you, but He is not greater than He who lives in you, the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, let me tell you something about Him. I don't want to, I'm not lifting Him up, but I'm going to tell you something. Now, the devil plays hardball. He doesn't waste a shot. If He tempts you, you can know that there's far more behind the curtain than you see. If He tempts you, you can know you're seeing the tip of the iceberg to what He has planned beneath the surface if you strike the bait and He successfully snags you. You've got to know He is a professional lurer, tempter, enticer. He appears as an angel of light. He can make wrong look right, bad seem good. He can twist and skew the truth in subtle, conniving, stealth-like ways. Where, boy, it can almost look right, it can almost seem right, but behind it is that line, behind it is that rod, and behind it is that creature who wants to... And before you know it, at first you wanted to bite the bait. Now you have no choice. 
Nobody wakes up and says, I think today I'll become a smoker. I think I'll shave 10 years off my life by smoking cigarettes. I think I'll die of lung cancer. And you take that first cigarette, and there's the devil. No big deal. You need to look cool. Hey, you're not going to get hooked. Go ahead, baby. Take a bite. And that first cigarette, and you've got to do it in faith because your whole body tells you to reject it. <laughs> I remember the first time I took a hit off a cigarette. It was like somebody dropped a brick down into my lungs. But before long, as I persevered in sin, I started liking it. But see, when I first took that cigarette, watch this now. I said, when did you do that? I did that when I was 16. I quit when I was 16 years old. Can you believe that? I started when I was 13. Now watch this. When I first did it, it was my choice. But after a while, it was no longer my choice. What I wanted now had me. And that's the way he catches you. And he does it in every temptation of life. You've got to know that he doesn't come looking at you like a Halloween monster. He comes looking good. Looking right. Looking palatable and reasonable. And after all, don't you deserve it. And after all, it's really no big deal. Now, Paul said, you've got to understand when that happens to you, it's not from God. You never need to look up and say, well, God, is this you that is tempting me to compromise? Do you really need to pray about it? Now, the Bible says, God won't let it be too hard or so overwhelming that you can't handle it. And then here's what he says. He says, to help you handle it, I'm going to open up a way of escape. Let me talk about the way of escape for a moment, and then we're going to close. He said, quote, he will also provide a way out, a way out, everybody say a way out, so that you can stand up against it. God is faithful. God is faithful. When you're tempted, he is faithful to give you an exit door. You see that exit sign right there? When you're being tempted, there is not a temptation that comes your way that God has not already provided, say it with me, an exit door. Oh, it's there, and then there's one over there. As a matter of fact, in every building, you've got to have three or four of them, and that's the fire department. If the fire department requires three or four to get out in case of a fire, don't you think God is faithful to give you a way out? Now, let me talk to you about that way out for just a moment, because I think we need to understand the way out. First of all, <laughs> let me just say that you've got to want the way out. So you can't, like the story is told, the grandmother heard her little grandson, Jimmy, in the kitchen, and she heard the cookie jar, and she went in there and looked, and he had climbed up on top of the shelf, pulled the cookie jar out of the top shelf, and had his hand stuck in it. And she said, what are you doing, Jimmy? He said, resisting temptation. Now let me tell you something. You cannot have your hand in the cookie jar. You can't be flirting with it and expect God to give you a reasonable way out. You've got to be saying, Lord, help me. I'm being tempted. I'm being tempted. Help me, Lord. The moment you say that, there's an exit there. There's an exit there. There's an exit over there. God will give you a way out. So what is the way out? Here's how I believe the way out shows up. First of all, the way out will come with warning flags. It will come with warning flags. God will show you early on Something is not right. Something inside of you, it can be the inner witness, a check in your spirit. You want to feel peace about it, but you can't. 
You want to feel right about it, but you don't. There's something inside of you, a warning flag is going on. And it's the Holy Ghost saying warning. Remember that robot in lost in space? The only thing I remember about that show, it lost in space, is the robot swinging his arms. Warning! Warning! I used to say to myself, oh, here he goes again. When is that going to get old? Warning flags. A word from somebody you know. But from somebody you don't know. They'll come to you. You can turn on the radio, the channel surfing, and for a moment's time, go just across just the right channel, and a preacher or somebody ministering the word will say something that means its way into your heart. And it's God saying, warning. Warning. Because he knows exactly what you're being tempted to. He knows exactly what is behind it. He knows exactly what will happen if you do it. A word from somebody you don't know or you do know. He can give a loss of peace. Troubled sleep. You get up night after night. You can't figure out why you can't sleep. Because he gives his beloved sleep. What's the matter? The Holy Ghost is waking you up and saying something is wrong. You need to pray. Listen to the warnings of God. Is anybody hearing me today? Because God is faithful to warn. He will tell you if that financial decision is a bad one. He will tell you if that relationship is a wrong one. He'll tell you if that God choice is not in His will. God will wake you up. He'll take His sleep away from you to warn you. True story. In the 1800s, there was a train barreling down the track. And it was barreling down the track on the old fashioned locomotive train. Just fucking away, chugging away down the track. It was nighttime. And all of a sudden, the engineer looked out of the window and he saw a shadowy figure through this. He said, What in the world is that? He called his assistant. said, Look at this. They all looked out. And there was the same shadowy figure. And this is hanging in air, doing this, back and forth, back and forth. So no matter what they did, how long they looked, or how long they discussed it, it did not go away. They couldn't make sense of it. So they decided to stop the train. They stopped it. Filled with passengers. He got out. He walked around. Walked down the tracks a little ways. And the whole bridge was out. And the train would have plummeted hundreds of feet to the destruction of everyone on board. Thank you. 